Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we have a little bit of a different episode. You heard us talking a lot about application security, cloud security, and risk management, but we never dive deeper on the risk management aspect. And today, I wanted to change that by inviting Alex, Alex Sidorenko, um, that is an expert on the field, but the interesting part is that it comes left field is consider cyber, but it's going to be an interesting dialogue between a cyber and a non-cyber talking about risk. So we, we'll see the different aspect and the different eyes from a business. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Tell us a little bit more about you. Thanks, Francesco, and thank you to the listeners joining us for this uh, podcast. I have been working in risk for the last uh, 17 years now, and my last uh, couple of roles were the chief risk officer of a private equity fund and advisor to the chief risk officer of a sovereign fund in a a private equity fund in Europe, uh, an advisor to a sovereign fund uh, CRO in Middle East, and my last role was the head of operational investment risk and insurance at a $10 billion chemical company, global chemical company, one of the biggest in its industry. And so I was traditionally responsible for most of the risks, especially in the last role as the head of operational risk and a kind of cyber automatically falls under under that, that umbrella. So I was responsible for creating the methodologies that the business units then use to quantify their risks. And I'm also known as the host of the Risk Awareness Week, which is this annual virtual conference that uh, we run and I also run a pretty popular blog and YouTube channel called Risk Academy. And my focus, and I think this is kind of going to be the central point of our discussion today, is my focus has always been on how do we quantify uncertainty so we can use that information to make better decisions and save a lot of money along the way which is kind of exactly what we did last year as the company because we were na- uh, you know, I-, I was named the best risk manager uh, in Europe or risk manager of the year, I think was the official title, 2021 by Firma, which is the European Association of Risk Management Associations. They've given me this title as the best risk manager in Europe for the amazing work we did in using quantifying risk analysis to save $13 million on insurance premiums for for the corporation where I was head of risk and insurance. Brilliant. And that's that's probably an interesting subject now that cybersecurity premium uh, for insurance is going up and up because I think it's, it's a new industry. So I would like to touch on that. But before we dive in in the... Um, in the in the topic of cybersecurity insurance that is a little bit of a fight in the industry right now i want to touch point with you on the various topic of standardized and fundamentally for who is not experiencing risk or specifically in business risk what are the different views because we had conversation offline on this you know cyber people 
consider risk in a specific way, but it's still business risk and business people have different way to quantify risk, especially as you rightfully mentioned, quantitative and qualitative. Maybe the first one, the, the second one is probably not even risk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, for cybersecurity yeah. people, a lot is a lot. But maybe let, yeah. let's explore the different level of risk or what you consider as a business risk uh, person, yeah. the different area and aspect of risk. Yeah, yeah. So, so the and the, it, it, it's you know I've been doing this for so long. It's it's kind of a funny observation. Every few years, a new risk flavor of the month appears on the horizon. And right now, it's cyber. Uh, I was a little bit concerned about cyber because climate change started overtaking that, and like climate change is the next sexy risk. Before, b- because. Every few years, we get a new sexy risk. So, you know, all the listeners to this podcast, I hope you feel very special right now, because in a couple of years, nobody will even remember. Um, they, they will, and you know, for us, you know, for me as the chief risk officer and the head of risk for a multi-billion-dollar corporation, um, cyber is just yet another operational risk. And the 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 very important uh, message is, is that. Cyber has been an operational risk in all regulatory taxonomies and cl- uh, classifications forever. Uh, the you know, it was called different maybe, but it's you know it's not a fundamentally new surprising risk. It's just one of many operational risks. You know, systems fail, and there are multiple reasons why they could could fail. And the approach and what I'm observing, this kind of this excitement in the industry and the special institutes created to quantify uh, cyber risk, um, I find this uh, fascinating on, on one side, but kind of you know, very interesting uh, on the other, because we, we've lived through that evolution for every single risk. Like we first, you know, foreign exchange risk was big, then third party risk was big. Now, now climate and then environmental and every single time market risk was big, credit risk was big. The, the, I think the key, the key message that I want uh, listeners to, to get is no company should feel like they're starting from a clean piece of paper because we had the, you know, the underlying science of risk management and risk management is basically based on like three fundamental sciences, the probability theory, the decision science and the neuroscience, which explain collectively how people deal with uncertainty when they're making decisions, when they make their choices, when they plan, when they forecast. And probability theory is 500 years old. Decision science is more than 100 years old. And the youngest one, neuroscience, is like 70 years old. And the most techniques used today for dealing with various risks are at least 50 to 70 to 100 something years old. The, you know, the, the, the wonderful Monte Carlo engine that we used to quantify <laughs> risks to simulate uncertainty was developed in 1946 as part of the Manhattan Project um, in in US by scientists sitting in, the, in Pentagon. And uh, there's very little new under the sun as far as risk management science is concerned. And so a very important message is if you're trying to figure out how to methodologically deal with the cyber risk, don't recreate the wheel. Mm-hmm. Use the approach, the methodology that has been applied for various other operational risks last year and then 10 years ago and then 20 years ago. And there are 
there are basically three levels, but maybe you, you, you want to ask me something or, or I can just jump into the three the three levels. No, I want I wanted to ask because you know we had this discussion offline and you know as as a security field, a lot of time we don't do really good risk at all. And when we do, and when we mention that we do is qualitative about best. So finger in the air for who is watching the video uh, or who is listening is like literally finger in the air, guess or gut feeling guess. This this can be dangerous or this can be problematic. And then we had to institute that fundamentally start assessing vulnerability without any concept of probability, impact and other stuff that is CVE, CVSS. They were modeling there, but they were never actually used back to the yeah. topic of you reinventing the wheel. So for us yeah. as an industry, we have qualitative as most of the time what risk is and quantitative is like rocket science for, for cybersecurity. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, in other pieces, not, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So th this is this just unpacks two very fascinating things that I wanted to share. Uh, well, the, the the first message is what you are experiencing right now is no different to what uh, other operational risk areas have experienced 10, 20 years ago. So it's 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 the same evolution, mm -hmm. and, and I wouldn't feel bad about it. It's just kind of it's the natural progression of life, because very soon. Uh, cyber professionals all over the world will start discovering this new science, which is, I'm saying new jokingly because it's only yeah, 70 course. years old, <laughs> uh, this new science called neuroscience. And there has been two Nobel Prizes in economics for research in 2002, so not new, and 2014, there were two Nobel Prizes in economics for research that basically suggests that whenever you're trying to assess uncertainty about the future qualitatively, expertly, or using your gut feel, you are mistaken and wrong most of the time. In fact, there has been a couple of research papers, and one of the some of the research papers even turned into books. And Philip Tetlock wrote a wonderful book called Super Forecasting which has he has been collecting over 80,000 forecasts and assessments from experts in all different fields of life. And his conclusion is very straightforward. There is no discipline on earth where your gut feel or intuition produces better results than the most basic quantitative models. Uh, even the most basic quantitative models consistently outperform human experts. The the other uh, the the other uh, fascinating piece of research uh, there is a paper called the the risk of using risk matrices, which is uh, a probably a very you know popular um, uh, popular technique technique tool. Uh, that's right. And uh, the conclusion of uh, it was uh, written by a couple of US and a Swedish researcher. And the conclusion was risk, ma risk matrices are worse than useless uh, because they actually add error. So like, for example, you, you would apply a risk matrix to a set of uncertainty, set of risks, and then you would prioritize and you would think, okay, three are important, the rest are not important. Well, in reality, if you did a similar uh, prioritization using the just the most basic quantitative techniques, you would discover that the three that you thought were important 
are not really that important. And the three that you felt were not important are actually much more important than you thought they were. And so it kind of, it, it quite frequently turns around. And I, I, I mean, I stepped on my fair share of mistakes uh, along the way because I, I, I obviously went through exactly the same progression. It just happened 15 years ago, but I went through exactly the same progression. We all started with qualitative risk assessments. And every time I discovered that the reality was very deep, like almost the opposite of what the risk analysis was telling me. And then we started back testing. We, we showed back testing, basically seeing, well, you forecasted something and then it happened. Then you just check, well, were you right? And you're almost never right. Uh, but the best study was done by NASA, who did the following. Uh, not in cyber context, but in the, it, it, but again, the techniques are exactly the same in every operational risk. Uh, they've done, the, I think, the, the funniest exercise. They took a group of engineers and a group of accountants, and they gave the engineers, so people who are supposedly experts at the risk, they uh, gave the engineers uh, risk matrices, and they gave the accountants, and they specifically selected accountants who were clueless about the nature of the risk that they were assessing. And they gave them like slightly more advanced qu quantitative techniques. And then they did a, a risk assessment for 100 projects to measure what they kind of forecasted budget and the deadline for completion would be. And then they measured that. And then they basically just lived through and waited for the projects to finish. And then they compared actual versus forecasted, you know, which ones were higher risk, which ones were lower risk. What they discovered is that accountants who were clueless about the risk with the better technique had half the error of the engineers who supposedly are experts at risk but we're given a suboptimal tool. So with the right tool and with the right data, you can get better conclusion even if you're clueless about. And I think that's that's probably the best representation of business briefs because it doesn't need to involve expertise. And most of the time, people that do risk are not experts in the various field. But with the right tool, you have the right data and the right insight to make actually decision. You have a better chance of uh, being closer to the right, to kind of to the more optimal decision. You know, the, the other part of the kind of the, the answer that I wanted to give is uh, in risk management, uh, we have these kind of three layers of uh, approach. And, th and these three layers have been um, used for decades by regulators and central banks all over the world in financial services. And this is another kind of my, you know, another takeaway back to my original message is you don't have to start from scratch because most of the industries out there have already solved the problem that we're trying to solve. You know, prioritizing cyber risk is not rocket science. It's been done before in other instances. And all you have to do is basically just use the same techniques. And there are literally like maybe like five techniques out there that can solve most risks on the planet uh, for, for you. And so just like the regulators and the central banks use for financial risks and operational risks in banks, we can use the same, we can apply the same approach to cyber. And the three levels are basic, standardized, and advanced. And basic uh, basically means you can... Uh, measure any risk 
as the product of frequency versus consequence. But you don't have to do it qualitatively. There's actually a quite a simple kind of mathematical uh, formula for that. Your frequency is a discrete distribution that may happen as a certain number of years. And all you need to know is the average expected number of incidents per year. And then the, the rest is kind of explained by this mathematical distribution called Poisson. Again, a distribution used by engineers and everybody else in the world for the last God knows how many years. It's a very old technique. And then the, the consequences could be a Perth distribution, a log normal distribution, or a triangular distribution. But there are, there are a number of mathematical entities that can represent uh, the consequence. And then running a very simple Monte Carlo kind of equation, you can multiply the frequency by the distribution to get the, the consequence distribution to get this uh, loss curve for your uh, cyber risk. And then you can add them, you can uh, multiply them. There are all sorts of other uh, funky, useful things. And uh, um, I think the key message that I want people uh, to, to take away from that, even though I already said a lot of complicated words, and I, I, I just, I'm just describing basic, you know, it kind yeah. of gets a little bit harder that, from that. That's a, funny, that's a funny part is that for you, basic is really what is really advanced for the majority of security folks. Because yeah. we don't have a lot of statistics on, on you know, the, the field change quite quickly. We don't have a lot of statistics on, on attacks and other stuff. So the frequency is, is difficult to assess and calculate in any change on a daily basis. So maybe yeah. there is an element you, of that. You, so, so you raise a very, very important point. And let's, let's park the three levels for now. Mm -hmm. I'll come back to that because I wanted to address your point because... Uh, just like any other operational risk, everybody else lived through that evolution. And this is what we learned. This is what we learned from other operational risk. In any organization or in any uh, situation, you can divide the people into two buckets. We call them the generators and uh, the users. These two buckets don't really cross. So the difference is uh, a degree in mathematics. A, a, a university degree, you know, bachelor's or master's degree in, in mathematics. Because, and the, uh, the analogy I want the listeners to think about is electricity. Nobody knows how the electricity is generated and, no, and, and yet everybody's using it, right? <laughs> right? So probability is exactly the same. There are people on the planet, and there are a lot of the people on the planet, who know exactly how to use, select, you know, use uh, little data that you have and convert it into what is required to quantify risk. But not everybody is a generator. Just like not everybody is a generator for the electricity, not everybody is the generator for quantitative risk analysis. And, and this is kind of what we're hoping that the world accepts as soon as possible. There are people who understand how to deal with it. For example, I uh, I wouldn't claim to be myself a generator, even though I have a degree in statistics and I understand all of this really well. But I actually had two mathematicians in my team who were generating things. And for them, little data, uh, data that is not comparable, uh, for them, that's kindergarten. Like they know how to deal with that because there are mathematical techniques for dealing with all of that. You, in reality, you need much less data than you think. You actually need different data to what you think. And, and 
all of those technical problems have been solved by professionals at least 100 years ago. Some of the problems have been solved more like 400 or 300 years ago. Uh, but, the, but the challenge is you can't really expect a user to know that. That's just unfair. You, you know, just like you don't expect me to know how electricity to start generating my own electricity <laughs> and suddenly, you know, powering our uh, our podcast. Just like that, it is unfair to expect people, uh, many people in cybersecurity, to be able to deal with that with uh, with probability and uh, and risk quantitative risk analysis. So I think the future uh, the future for organizations is either finding those generators within the company. And for example, my my department was the generator for the company. So whenever somebody needed some sort of uncertainty, so our IT professionals would reach out to us and so did our environmental team, so did our internal mm -hmm. audit, so did our production team. They would reach out to us and say, we need to quantify this, you know, can you generate the distribution? And we said, sure. For us, it's like the easiest thing we've done that day. Really? And so I think internally within the companies, you would expect some generators to appear. By the way, I was surprised that most of the organizations that I met, there are usually somebody who is a good generator. They just like, they don't advertise themselves. They don't, basically anybody with a degree in like corporate finance or mathematics or statistics, they can be a generator just like within a second. But then I also think there would be an external kind of, service. There's, I think there will be an external market for generating things that other people can use, just like there is a market for generating electricity and mm -hmm. everybody's using it. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that in the near future, we'll see a market for generating these uncertain distributions that anybody can plug in into their budgets and into, into their forecasts, into their model, and suddenly it just turns into a risk-based decision. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. My question, I don't know if you expect it, is that why are we reinventing the wheel in cyber? Why is cybersecurity insurance reinventing the wheel? Why are we, why these particular risks so immature? Or yeah. what kind of data would you consider as a follow-on question to be yeah. needed for measuring cybersecurity risk? So that's the... Uh, for five questions in one. I'll, I'll start with the, <laughs> with, start with with the, the insurance one. one. Yeah. No, no, I'll actually go to the insurance because insurance has a very you know, sinister answer. Uh, I'll, I'll first start with why is the uh, majority of the cybersecurity market is immature? I think my simple answer is just because it's that time of the year. It's basically, it's, it's an evolution that needs to happen because we were immature in foreign exchange risk. We were immature in interest rate risk. We were immature in procurement risk. We were immature in different kinds of, like, for example, you think cybersecurity risk is immature? Climate risk is immature. Like they, they're just like, what they're doing is criminal, is, is absolutely criminal. So, so it's what I'm trying to say, it's just, it's that time of the life cycle and right. You just have to, like, we, we all have to wait for the maturity to increase because 
kind of answering your second part of the question, not everybody in cyber is immature because there are institutes that have actually come up with the techniques that I would call standardized. So remember the three <laughs> levels? Right. The basic. We call it very kind advanced. Of, yeah. The, <laughs> uh, the, the basic I kind of mentioned to me, you know, open fair standards and mm-hmm. fair institute and everything they do, that's a standardized approach because it's the most basic model you can think of. And uh, they're already doing like amazing work. They're trying to standardize the rules and uh, find kind of common applications. And they came up with a, it's, it's not a decision tree. It's like a fault, fault tree mm-hmm. that you can put different uncertainties on it. And then Monte Carlo engine behind it quantifies it. That's the, that's the standardized approach. So that's already a very good sign of, uh, uh, of maturity. Uh, in the industry. So, you know, I think cyber is kind of really going on the curve and Mm -hmm. the next step will be even more, uh, even more amazing. So that's kind of answer to the second part. And now let's talk about insurance. The simple and the the, 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 cyber insurance and then, you know, I was responsible for a multi-million dollar insurance portfolio for a very large organization. So I'd like to think that I've met most of the brokers on the planet, most of the underwriters <laughs> on the planet, we, we've been we've been placing insurances in Europe, Switzerland, EU, Switzerland, because they're two different markets, completely different rules. Latin America, US, Asia, Middle East. So we we've kind of we've been all over the place, and I I, I would like to think that we have a pretty good grasp as the team on uh, what the insurance market is. And so the simple answer is why it's all a shambles and why the premiums on the cyber insurance are just so volatile is very simple because insurance companies are greedy. They just, uh, they didn't do the homework. They didn't quantify the risks properly. They just basically priced it with using their gut feel. And this is exactly what happens because what, what, what you know why the premiums kind of constantly increasing? It's because last year, the actuaries didn't do their job properly. They miscalculated it. And so suddenly, especially big jumps, big jumps mean somebody didn't do their homework properly. They didn't quantify it. They completely missed the mark, lost a lot of money. And, and they got scared and they, need, they, got sca- they get scared. They overcompensate and they need to recoup some of the losses that they've made in the previous year. Uh, so all of this, you know, soft market, hard market, it's just fairy tales that they tell uh, the rest <laughs> of the world because basically it's just, it's, they're just hiding their incompetence. And why I know they are in, incompetent in quantifying risks because we actually figured out the models that they use to quantify their risks, to quantify other risks, you know, cargo, property damage, uh, D&O, liability lines. And every time, when we modeled those risks ourselves, and remember I, I talked about the third advanced level of uh, quantifying, uh, quantifying risks, and that's basically when you build a tailor-made model for a specific decision. For example, you know, how much risk should we transfer to insurance? So we've built those models, and uh, every time we built these models, we saw that the prices that the insurance companies were quoting were completely disconnected from the actual risk exposure. And in fact, we had a lot of kind of going back and forth with different insurance underwriters, I believe successfully proving our case that we knew what our risk was better than they did. And that's how we, over over the year, just a single year, we reduced our premiums by $13 million. 
that's a lot of money. <laughs> and we, you know, we, we saved, sometimes we would decrease the cost of insurance by seven times. So last year we paid a million. This year we would pay seven times less for the exactly the same risk exposure. And we actually improved the quality of risk. We actually raised the limits uh, on, uh, on one of the insurance lines. We actually doubled the limits. So you would expect the price to go significantly higher. We doubled the limits, but reduced the price by seven times. J- just because we were able to mathematically show to the insurance companies saying, well, we understand our risk profile and the, the fair price is not what you claim it to be. In fact, we can tell you what the fair price for this insurance <laughs> uh, insurance is. It, it's uh, the, the model for um, for cyber insurance is slightly more difficult. You know, I wish it was so simple. Like I would have made so much money on, on cyber insurance. <laughs> uh, it's, it's slightly more difficult, but you can still have a lot of ammunition arguing. And in fact, uh, in the uh, 2022 Risk Awareness Week, and you know, I don't know when this will go live, you know, before or after, it doesn't really matter because the kind of the workshop is available there forever. Uh, I, I'm doing a session with Shane Kavanagh, who is a... Uh, research, um, like senior researcher at the Government Finance Association of US, which is basically all your state, uh, state and city governments. Mm-hmm. And uh, so imagine all your local governments, the government of your city, they have to purchase cyber insurance as well. Right. A- and uh, th- they're fighting the battle of quantifying cyber you know, cyber risk properly so they can get a fair value for their insurance. Because mm-hmm. if you can imagine your local government, if they overpay for insurance, that means they have less money to spend. Well, that, but they also have less money to spend on your buses, your you know city decorations, you know city cleaning, and everything else. So for them, it's it's a very kind of real. Uh, re- real, really important. Like any other organization, any other organization is real, is as real as, as it gets, especially right now with the premium going so much high and with the economic climate that is, is a bit tighter. So doing proper quantification is, is important. Yeah, so you know, catch that uh, uh, workshop at Risk Awareness Week 2022. And uh, not, not just that, and then we, ha- we have kind of from both sides Shane and I are doing a session from the buyer side, like how do we quantify our cyber risk better so we have the arguments uh, against the insurance company. And then we have Robert Brown, uh, who's like a very senior uh, risk expert in US, who is actually working for for an insurance company that underwrites cyber (laughs) risk. And he will show how they use models to reward companies that can show that they quantify cyber risk. So they right. give better premiums to the companies that do proper risk quantification. So we kind of, we're trying to approach it from, um, uh, from, from both, uh, bo- both that, sides. That's an interesting topic because a lot of companies don't do cyber risk quantification. If they do, it's in the very, what you consider being the, be- the, the very basic form. But we also saw a lot of basic questionnaire coming out and, uh, a lot of questions like, do you have this tool? Do you have this certification that is not a statistically significant way to reduce risk or to assess risk? It's just a way to firefight maybe that finger in the air that even insurance did, right? Well, listen, don't get me started on questionnaires. 
this is why I think you know insurance companies are completely uh, um, missing the plot on uh, risk quantification, even though they should be at the forefront of that. So first of all, in like three years heading the insurance department of a multi-billion-dollar company, I never, not a single time, I answered those questionnaires because they're just a waste of time. They have nothing to do with the underlying risk exposure. So we first of all we just we chuck it in the bin. And then we prepare our own submission, usually much longer, like our submissions are like 30, 50 pages, where we actually quantify our risk profile and we present to the insurance company saying, well, you didn't ask us about this, but this is what our actual, what our actual risk profile looks like. And these are our controls. And this is how controls affect our risk profile. And this is why our risk profile is better than the industry average risk profile. And this is the fair price. We can actually calculate how much the insurance should worth. And then we give it every, uh, to the insurance companies. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Those questionnaires are an absolute uh, joke because they do not help you to A, understand um, the, the risk exposure uh, or to communicate what your control effectiveness is around, uh, uh, around cyber risk. But the, the message I wanted to kind of to, to finish this point with, you know, the only reason, the only reason why cybersecurity is currently at the basic level or even qualitative level. And if you can kind of picture my three levels, you know, qualitative risk assessments is not in, it's not even on the grid. <laughs> it's just not risk management. It's, um, I don't know, horoscopes or astrology. It has nothing to do with risk management. And so even the basic level, the only reason why the cyber is kind of at the astrology level or, the, or at the basic level is because I don't think the industry figured out how much money you can save through quantification. Because, because let, me, and, you know, let me make this very visual. We spent a, a month quantifying a risk for a particular chemical plant, and then we saved $3 million on insurance. That paid for the whole department budget and the whole sal like salaries and bonuses of everybody within the risk team for the next three years. <laughs> so well, it's a very insurance is a very new thing. So it's, yeah. it's difficult to justify a complex or a very structured risk model against that. I mean, sometimes it's difficult to justify control in the first instance against um, a budget and people that actually go and, and fix things and not even taking, you know, the cybersecurity insurance. That is a relatively new, it's been around for like two, three years uh, with regulation coming into place just of reason. So it's, it's a little bit difficult to justify a fixing sure, cost. Sure, uh, no, I, I totally agree, but let me put it in perspective. If you can say, like, if your end game and your opportunity is to save hundred thousands of dollars or a few million at the end of placing the insurance if you're going to pay less for something that your company wants that and and the cost of quantifying the risk is a fraction of that it's a no-brainer so what i'm trying to say is that the only reason why people don't quantify every time cyber risk is because they don't yet understand how much saving is at the end of it and for us for us, spending a month on quantifying is a no-brainer because we know we, we're going to pay for everything, <laughs> for the whole team uh, with this month of work. Uh, and so for us, it, it was a very easy decision. And, and the same, same for like in the environmental. Um, you know, the company was uh, trying to figure out, should they spend 
20 million on the water purification plant. And uh, we, we, in a week, we build a kind of standardized model to show that the current risk exposure was about 300 million. And by spending 20 million to reduce the risk exposure by 250 million is a no brainer. And that right. kind of re really um, escalated and uh, progressed the decision. So they, they had a lot of difficulty presenting to the CEO and then the board. Once you show that you can pay 20 to save 250. It's risk against risk and cost against cost. It becomes a, a lot of supposedly difficult decisions suddenly become much, uh, much easier. Right. And I think that's, that's also reflected in cybersecurity risk because it's, it's kind of a, or in cybersecurity in general, it sometimes is, is a dark science. And especially in, in the practitioner field, because we have the field that changed so frequently, not like engineering. Engineering remains engineering, while cybersecurity change, I guess, so frequently. And the, and the industry reinvent themselves every, I don't know, three years, five years. It changed completely. So I think it's still immature in the defender space and it will always be immature in the defender space, but also how to calculate risk. The data and statistics that we use to actually calculate the probability of exploitation or something to happen or a control to fail are very different now than they were in five years. And I think you mentioned FAIR and Verizon and Polynon Institute are kind of advancing the research field in calculating at least you know, statistical significant data to use for probability of exploitation, for fines and other things that can be used and advanced in those models to calculate, at least from a surface perspective, the probability of exploitation or the probability of, you know, getting a fine. But that still doesn't reflect a lot of the information that, from a security perspective, you have on the posture of, of controls that you have and the vulnerability and the exposure level that you have and that's maybe the second aspect of the risk that we're missing in our industry that is actually we don't measure enough data from a security perspective. We don't have yeah. we don't have data point where to even calculate statistical significant information to then go and inform that picture. And that's why yeah. a lot of the time is 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 a difficult yeah. business case. Yeah. For, for, exactly. You raise a very important point. A difficult business case for now. And um, so a couple of things that, that come to mind immediately. Uh, there is a, an American author and a very famous risk manager, um, Hint, also a speaker at the Risk Awareness Week. Um, <laughs> his name is Doug Hubbard, and he wrote a book, How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity. Yeah. A and One of my very famous. Books. Yeah, very famous book. Well, Doug is a good friend of mine. Uh, very famous book, and it has a lot of the answers. And you know why it has a lot of the answers? Because he had a book written a few years before that book, which was how to measure anything, just anything, in, in any way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the application is the same for any operational risk, just like it is for cyber. So it was a very kind of easy. He did a lot more research with his co-author, to repurpose it for cyber, but basically the underlying you know, science is exactly the same. Uh, but the, the, the two points that he, uh, he makes, first, he calls it beat the bear fallacy. And this is a very important message, I think, for, for, for our listeners today, is no one in the world is expecting you to jump from nothing to the most advanced, sophisticated models. It's, it's, and beat the bear fallacy means 
you don't have to run faster than the bear. You just have to run faster than the person next to you. <laughs> uh, which, which basically means you don't have to do better than you, you don't have to have the most amazing, you know, cyber risk insurance. So you don't have to have the most amazing cyber risk quantification on the planet. You just have to do better than you did yesterday. And yesterday, if, if you if what you did yesterday was qualitative, then it's really easy to do better than what you had yesterday. Uh, so it, you know, nobody's expecting this kind of you know leap jump from nothing to super complex. And in fact, uh, what I've discovered is that most of the, for example, for insurance purposes, we actually had to scale down our mo models because the actuaries, the underwriters themselves, use pretty basic models. And if they're going to price your risk using a very basic model, and by the way, yeah, they use m models more basic than FAIR. <laughs> more basic than FAIR, which is kind of, they use the same level as what I would call basic. So to me, FAIR is standardized. They use basic approach. And if they price your risk using basic approach, you don't have to do it better than them. You can do exactly the same uh, as them. So most of the time, you can actually achieve amazing results by doing just a little bit better than you did yesterday. You don't have to suddenly become this, you know, PhD in mathematics. Uh, and so that's the first point. And the second point, you, I think you're absolutely right, is that what we often discover is that the data points and the statistics that the company has on a particular risk are not the ones that we actually needed, are not the useful ones. So, for example, in, in other operational risk, you know, we had like fire and explosions as one of the operational risk. And what we discover is that there is an, there's an incident log. And because it's not an automatic incident log, it's a manual incident log. The methodology tells us, take the incident log, count how many number of incidents per year, you know, average it using the distribution, count how much money or how much time we lost every incident, you know, average it using a special distribution uh, for that purpose, and then you know, multiply the two together. What we discovered is that nobody kept that log honest. <laughs> yes, of course. It, it was basically a lie. You know, there were eleven incidents, and yet we see that uh, the production plant is missing like you know three thousand ton of product. Uh, you know, so something didn't add up. So we actually changed the methodology completely. We said, well, we we now realize that despite what the methodology tells us. We don't need to look at the incident log. Yes, we're going to still look at it, but we're going to. It's not going to be our main point. We started looking at water usage, electricity usage, because we were starting looking for spikes in electricity. We started to look for spikes in water. We started to use for spikes in gas, and all of the other proxy measures to capture the actual risk event. And you know, obviously, the risk kind of went exponential. Because we, we, you know, incident log told us the risk was this big. In fact, the risk was you know, humongous. And so the, the point that I'm trying to make is by building the kind of the model that describes your risk, even, even the model that FAIR, uh, FAIR, FAIR advocates allows you to understand what sort of metrics you need to start measuring as the company and most of the time, it would be different metrics than you were measuring yesterday. And that's already a huge improvement. You, you may not have data today, but unless you start measuring the right things today, you will never have the data. But I think you raise, you raise a very good point, an important point, that is, if you capture the number of incidents, that traditionally is what a lot of data breaches 
in a lot of breaches report, 90% of the time those are not declared unless they are significant. Now, the US government and other government are making that mandatory, but I doubt that a lot of the time that information will be there. But there are a lot of environmental data points that you can look at in yeah, the most likes, like you. Yeah, proxy proxy data or proxy data point that you can look at to actually detect and infer the information about the incident without observing directly the incident happening because it's very complicated in, in cyber to detect what went wrong and if that wrong is actually implying an attack or a failure in general, like potential versus unpotential. And and I guess that's that's a that's the issue we have in the industry that we detect we look at the wrong data and we base our judgment on the wrong data and steering the industry somewhere else, as you said, is is crawling and then running. And when we look at other industry, they're really running. So it's 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 a little bit uh, a struggle, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, no, nobody is running. It's just some industry started earlier than because everybody was crawling at the beginning. Everybody it was it like it's it, for me. It's like a deja vu. I see exactly the same happening in every new operational risk. And again, let me just reiterate that. You think, you know, cybersecurity risk is embarrassing? You know, just look at uh, climate change. Like that's the most embarrassing risk right now. Uh, the, the the models that they use and the methodologies that they use, it's just, it, it's, it's not even kindergarten. It's embarrassing. <laughs> For, for now, for now, but in a couple of years, they will be like they'll create their own fair, and then in another couple of years, they'll be doing amazing things, just like every other risk did before them. Brilliant, Alex. I'd like to thank you very much for coming into the show. We almost come at the time, but I guess you kind of did. We have a tradition in the show to leave up with a positive message that. You kind of did. Um, if there is any other message that you want to leave, and then uh, if you can, you know, where people can see more of you, you know, listen more of you, that is, uh, I think, a particularly beneficial aspect of risk that is particularly obscure for cyber people. So, so let me start, kind of start with a few messages. The message is um, cyber risk is not kind of, is not immature in any different way from all the other risks previously. So there's like there's no there's no disappointment about that. Like it's not about you, the listeners. It's just that stage of the evolution cycle, and it will get better, just like it did for all the other uh, operational risk. The, the second thing, if most of the things that I said today don't make sense, it just means you are a user, which is not a bad thing. We're all users of electricity. You just need to find the generator. It could be an external generator. It could be an internal generator. Because for generators of distributions and risks, it's really easy to overcome the challenges that you think are impossible. Or all of the things that in your mind right now, you're thinking, you know, how my you know, company is unique and different and there's no way we can do that. <laughs> there are people on the planet who's done that 100 times and they've done it very successfully and they can do it, uh, they can do it again. Uh, so that's the, that, that's the second point. And the third point, right now, cyber, cyber risk is not the only immature industry. Cyber insurance is just as immature, maybe even more mm -hmm. immature. In fact, I would I would I would probably believe that they are much more immature <laughs> than the actual cyber professionals. So you have this amazing opportunity to take advantage of the situation. And by just quantifying the risk a little bit, you already have more ammunition in your conversations with the insurance guys 
and you can demand like we did significant savings compared to uh, other companies by showing how your controls affect your risk exposure and proving to them that your risk exposure is actually significantly lower than the premiums that they um, that they charge and the fact that they just you know, didn't overcompensating that's their problem that's not your problem especially in the countries where there are there is competition in the cyber when there's you know, good uh, economic markets uh, so these are um, the, these are I think are quite positive things what I'm trying to say is that you're not alone there are people who already know all the answers and you can make a lot of money right now you can make a lot of money uh, <laughs> oh, you can for save your company which is yeah basically the same you know, same same thing because you you were going to be paying a million bucks and now you're suddenly paying half a million that's a very nice uh, you know money saving uh, saving technique insurance is like the easiest place to save money which which I, I personally just love every year we get together uh, in October to kind of to do this live risk event uh, called risk awareness week but it uh, stays online as the recording. And every year we have a few sessions on specifically cyber. And this year we have three sessions. I mentioned two before, but we actually have three sessions on different aspects of cyber. Check out the website. We'll, you, know, you probably provide it in the, in the links. Uh, yeah, we'll provide the them in the show notes. Yeah, um, uh, ch check it out and uh, have a listen to the people that have kind of already solved the problem. So they've already done it. And then... You can ask them questions and uh, try and repeat what they've done and, uh, and so on. Brilliant. And for who is listening and hasn't seen the show note, what is the website for the conference? It's uh, 2022.riskawarenessweek.com. Brilliant. And if somebody want to follow your blog, your news, where, where they can find you? It, it, it's, it's very easy. If you Google Risk Academy, it, it's uh, one of the... I. I just in the last few days, I ticked over 10,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel, which I'm, I'm really happy happy about. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you, thank you. And, and the blog has uh, about 200,000 visitors per year. So it's, uh, it's usually number one in Google. Risk Brilliant. Academy is kind of my go-to name. <laughs> Brilliant. Alex, this has been a brilliant uh, conversation cyber to risk and risk to cyber um it's brilliant to hear that uh we're not alone there are people that <laughs> in other industries that are behind us so positive message there um and we get better so maybe message from me is measure everything and get better at cyber security quantification because you just need to get better than your insurer <laughs> to actually get yeah, a better price which is not difficult and that's your business really case easy. Yeah, which is really easy. And maybe yeah. you can get maybe you can get protector with the money that you save on the insurance. <laughs> brilliant. Alex, thank you very much. Totally. This was a brilliant episode. Everybody stay safe and stay cyber safe. This is Francesco, your host, Alex, our guest. Thank you. And goodbye. Thank you everyone. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.